0: This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us again today, Attorney Al Goldberger from the law offices of Alan S. Goldberger in Florham Park, New Jersey. Al is a nationally recognized authority on sports law and sports officiating and a former NCAA basketball official, baseball umpire, and high school football official. He is also the author of Sports Officiating, a legal guide, and counsels clients nationwide in sports and athletic risk management and liability defense. A frequent speaker on sports law, Al was named the keynote speaker this summer at the Louisiana High School Officials Association Sports Officiating Summit. And also addressed more than 600 kentucky officials at that state's officiate kentucky day here in new jersey al has been named to the Rutgers youth sports research council advisory board and he is also admitted to practice in new jersey new york and maryland al we're very pleased to have you with us again today
1: thanks good to be with you again john today we'll
0: be discussing with al the most recent developments in high school sports athletic risk management And Al, what do you see as active areas of risk in interscholastic sports in today's climate?
1: Well, John, we've had uh, three state Supreme Court decisions in 2017 alone involving high school athletics and sports. But I think uh, uh, this year, as in every year, there's a handful of of concern uh, uh, areas that float to the top. Uh, First, I, I call children and others in harm's way. It just strikes me that bad things can and often do happen in the game where players and other people are somewhere other than where they should be on the quarter field. Their collisions between people and between people and objects can obviously cause injury In contact sports. The danger is magnified in sports with multiple participants on opposing sides. Sometimes they're traveling at high speed more often than not. Game management in this area leaves something to be desired from a risk management perspective. Uh, The next area, equipment and facilities. In some cases, we see it's a case of bad equipment. In others, it's a case of not using equipment that could prevent injuries or mitigate injuries at all. And then we have makeshift equipment or items used in context other than sports. We, we had a, an incident a few weeks ago that I'm sure a lot of people saw on the news here in the, in the metropolitan area where, uh, a high school football player doing a conditioning drill was unfortunately killed when a large log that he and several of his teammates were, were carrying in, in a drill, uh, that is used apparently in the military and the log fell on the, on the boy's head, and resulted in his death. So we see all kinds of things going on with equipment and facilities, and and sometimes uh, uh, these things are uh, are preventable, and uh, you know the consequences can be very high when uh, when people don't take into account the age and skill level and the appropriateness of the equipment or the facility for that level of play. Over the years, some parties defending have been able to walk away, and some are not so fortunate when uh, equipment is involved. And third area injury response, uh, not only first aid, but also the risk associated with moving an athlete prematurely after an injury, or not having a healthcare professional within easy reach, or failure to even summon medical assistance uh, in a timely fashion. Uh, These things all contribute to the claims experience, and and all of this is magnified when we talk about concussion or what I like to call concussion confusion. Uh, Now we have a seven-year history of plain rule support, state statutes everywhere, and we still have inappropriate responses in many cases to the uh, potentially concussed athlete. Next, failure to teach fundamentals uh, and its nasty twin, letting aggressive play morph into taunting and baiting situations and even fighting. Uh, All unsportsmanlike conduct of this nature provides a fertile climate for serious injury situations. And finally, uh, perennial high risk areas of unchecked violent behavior on the part of not only student athletes, but others in the venue. Immunity protection in this area only goes so far in the presence of an arguably reckless and aggressive coach who might not hesitate to incite a crowd, uh, as well as his or her athletes uh, in terms of behaving badly. So these are all factors that make managing risk in this area very challenging.
0: Al, have the playing rules evolved in response to recent claims experiences at all?
1: I think they have, and I think they continue to uh, evolve as as coaches and athletes devise more ways to try to beat the rules. And so, doing sometimes uh, find themselves in in uh, injury situations. We've had uh, plain rules modifications uh, over the years and and refinements in. In fighting uh, penalties resulting in suspension, not only on the high school level, but at the youth level in some cases, and certainly at the NCAA level, uh, taunting and baiting rules have been refined and various interpretations have come up uh, uh, regarding trash talking and and, and uh, untoward remarks directed by an athlete or a coach, at an, usually at an opponent. Uh, Excessive physical conduct and contact has been the subject of a great number of rules modifications, including the targeting rules, uh, notably in football, using a helmet as a battering ram, chop blocking, horse collar tackling, spearing, uh, and so forth. Uh, Rules regarding leaving the bench area during a fight uh, also are in response to claims experiences that have actually happened. in high school sports and unfortunately below. Rules regarding clearances from sidelines and and where people uh, are allowed to be and where they are not allowed to be. Rules regarding unauthorized persons on the field, spectator interfering with games, and of course rules about uh, equipment, which we talked about a little bit before, but equipment that may not be suitable or that is dangerous in some way, hard surfaces, jewelry, headwear, sometimes medical devices, sometimes casts and braces, Uh, all of these things. And and also if equipment is lined around the plane area, all of these things uh, uh, represent a potential for injury and uh, are essential to managing risk in terms of the rules modifications and paying attention to the rules modifications.
0: Al, how are carriers responding to claims involving injuries resulting from assaults and other intentional acts?
1: Well, we've had a couple of uh, fairly recent cases, one very recent, where uh, carriers have gone in on declaratory judgment actions or otherwise moved uh, to uh, basically uh, abrogate uh, whatever coverage may have otherwise existed. Uh, we had a case uh, where uh, a, a baseball coach was actually convicted of uh, unintentional homicide Uh, where he was conducting a team meeting after a game and went into a fight situation involving a concessionaire, believe it or not, and it ended up that uh, there was a fatality. Coach wanted coverage, and uh, coverage was uh, actually at the final analysis uh, afforded to him. There was another case uh, in, in Hawaii where a youth football coach who was reportedly known to have some violent tendencies charge onto the field and assaulted a player and evidently threw him into the air with such force that his head hit the ground Uh, and that that situation in that case uh, ended up in coverage being denied and upheld by the court so uh, there are responses to Uh, These types of claims that we see increasing because of intentional uh, conduct, such as assaults and and other intentional torts uh, on the playing field.
0: Since the influx of legislation and claims involving concussion in sports, and you mentioned concussions earlier, uh, have the high schools devised effective risk management strategies regarding concussion?
1: Well, I think that, John, is a work in progress. Uh, There are risk management uh, strategies that uh, one would think would be dictated not only by the playing rules that have been in effect in their present format uh, for most high school sports since March of 2010. Uh, In 2010, of course, we had uh, about only a handful or so of of state legislation uh, regarding Concussion for example and and in two thousand and fourteen, by then we had you know, fifty or fifty one state legislatures, including d c enact legislation involving concussion in sports applicable to high school sports so those those items have uh, uh, uh been around for a while in terms of both the rules and state law, but of course. Not always followed by appropriate risk management practices. So that is a continuing work in progress. There's still a lot of confusion and there are a lot of misgivings uh, about, you know, how to handle these situations on the field. Uh, the Washington case uh, involving a athlete named Andrew Swank. Uh, was recently heard by the Washington Supreme Court, and the decision came down uh, remanding the case back in terms of the coach's liability for uh, uh, that particular uh, injury and, and whether or not his, his conduct was grossly negligent. So still an open issue, John.
0: How about from a referee perspective, Al? Have the protocols changed for head injuries since the 2010 playing rules revisions and the influx of more state legislation?
1: Uh, I think the protocols have evolved in a certain way. It has uh, and, and take, it has taken a few years, but those associated with high school sports have come to realize that it's actually the referees and the umpires and the other game officials uh at whose feet a concussed athlete will often fall and and these folks really are in the best position most of the time to determine whether or not a student is exhibiting a sign, symptom or behavior that's consistent with concussion. Under the law in most states, uh, that standard or a similar standard where there is a reasonable suspicion that there may be a concussive injury that occurred. Uh, is uh, is left to either the official or a coach or another medical professional but the important thing of course is if there is a symptom or sign or behavior of concussion to get the student athlete out of the game so he or she can be evaluated. So uh, the process is evolving uh, referees are are trained and instructed that if they notice any one sign, symptom, or behavior of concussion present after a fall or contact, uh, an athlete has to come out, regardless of whether anybody else wants to discuss it or not, the athlete has to come out, at least at that point in the game. So that's, that's pretty much where the protocol is
0: and how, how have recent statutory immunity decisions impacted the stakeholders in the administration and conduct of interscholastic sports programs
1: Well statutory immunity uh has been uh, has been upheld by the Supreme Court of Illinois this year uh, also by uh, an appellate court in Connecticut this year again and by the uh the Swank case that we talked about a couple of minutes ago, the concussion case in the state of Washington, also by the Supreme Court of Washington. So uh, you had a, a rather a generous uh, ruling in terms of the defendant in the Illinois case, which uh, involved a uh, actually a phys ed setting where you had a floor hockey game and the issue was, among other things, whether there was supervisory immunity, because the instructor, the phys ed instructor who was supervising a floor hockey game, made the safety goggles that were available optional for the students. And The students declined, or most of the students, or the injured plaintiff certainly declined to wear the goggles. And of course, that particular student had a serious eye injury being uh, struck with uh, with a uh, ball in the field ho- in the uh, floor hockey game. So this became a case that litigated all the way up to the state supreme court, and the immunity was upheld, um, despite the fact that the the teacher felt that uh, the modified floor hockey equipment that she was using that provided for the students did not present the risk of serious injury. So that that's a case that certainly could have gone the other way. But that's the way it it ended up.
0: Al, have the efforts of state legislators made a difference in how sports manage risk?
1: Uh, I think it's clear that those efforts have. I think there's an increased consciousness, John, uh, on the part of of how sports programs uh, are or constructed and how at least nominally the regulations have come down Uh, state legislatures in some cases, have uh, specific penalties uh, although in most cases they don't but they certainly have specific directions uh, uh, requiring the adults responsible usually and most often the coach sometimes the official mentioned as well but the the deal is that The adults in charge of the game need to get the student-athlete who has a symptom, sign, or behavior consistent with concussion out of the game. Uh, That in turn, along with an increased emphasis on trash-talking and intimidation and and race-baiting and so forth, have generally anecdotally at least, made the people in charge of administering high school sports more sensitive to the fact that that bad consequences can ensue when, when the rules and regulations, not only the legislature sets by statute, but by administrative regulation and by plain rules and plain rules modifications in some cases. If, if these aren't uh, uh, adhered to, then, in some cases, uh, like in the Swank, in the concussion case, there is an implied, at least an implied, cause of action uh, that flows from failure to obey the statute, uh, and and of course, gross negligence and reckless misconduct is very rarely, if at all, uh, uh, a defense for uh, to a uh, uh, to a claim, uh, so that if there would be otherwise immunity for ordinary negligence you don't have it for gross negligence or recklessness so i think generally the consciousness is being raised but uh again as my friend professor abrams so aptly wrote when talking about concussion law and regulations and enforcement and he quoted tip o'neill who said you know all politics is local and and doug abrams point was well all rules enforcement is local as well so We really solve the problems of rough play and concussion uh, in sport and dangerous tactics and illegal equipment and lack of crowd control and all the other evidence of bad administration uh, locally at the venue because the people in charge obviously have to act and have to be proactive uh, to prevent any injury that might occur. Not that... You're required to absolutely prevent an injury, as we know, but you need to make an effort and you need to do what's reasonable and appropriate. So we think that that uh, the legislature's acting certainly have raised the consciousness, but it's always a struggle to translate that into what your people do down on the field or in the gymnasium.
0: Al, thank you so much for joining us again today.
1: Thank you, John. Great being with you.
0: That was Al Goldberger from the Law Offices of Alan S. Goldberger in Florham Park, New Jersey. And special thanks to today's producer, Frank Volwinkel. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to iTunes or our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast I'm John Zuba. And now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AM Best, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claimsresource.